Welcome, everybody, to Trade That Show. I am finishing off a shark week here on this show. I'm here with Brian, Eric, Dan again, and our special guest, the biggest. Now, I know that we've had rappers on, battle rappers, but this is the biggest badass we've had on on this show. Sorry to hurt anybody's feelings. But, you know, the rappers might go into a cipher, but this guy goes in with sharks on purpose and gets bit. I have the shark suit inventor on. Uh, he was nice enough to come on with all of us. Jeremiah Sullivan, how you doing, man? Thanks a lot. I'm happy to be here, gentlemen. Good, yeah. good to see you. You too, man. We really appreciate it. I uh, re- appreciate you coming, uh, getting back to us. Um, how we found out about you personally, I got to thank my wife. She watched your Man vs. Shark show on Nat Geo. I think it was Nat Geo Wild at the time. And she was like, you got to get the shark suit better on. So we reached out to you. You were nice enough to get back to us. Before we get into that, the invention and your, your thought process on that, tell us about yourself, how you got into aquatics and stuff. Well, goddamn, man. As you can tell, you know, my expiration date is already stamped right here on my forehead. So back, back when Bert was young, I, uh, I lived in the tropics most of my youth. So I was in Hawaii and Puerto Rico and, you know, running around as a, as a surf rat, uh, like, like most young water guys most of that time. I was living in Hawaii back when it was, before it became a state, you know, so it was in the 50s. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I was very, just very fortunate to, to spend so much time out in, uh, out in the ocean and, and uh, with, uh, with friends and other islanders that knew what they were doing, that, that uh, I just got, you know, I sort of got hooked at a very young age. I remember being a little kid in Hawaii. I don't know, I was perhaps three, four years old. My mother used to take my sisters and I to walk down Waikiki in the morning. This is, again, back in the 50s. And as we were cruising along the beach there, I, I saw washed up in the shoreline a, a baby hammerhead that had been, you know, I mean, it was so small and young that it was clearly cut out of a, a mother's belly, you know, by oh. a fisherman. But this little baby hammerhead was such an exquisite, I mean, exquisite, perfect little thing, you know, that it, I, I just never forgot about it, you know. And to this day, uh, whenever you have a chance to see young sharks, uh, you know, uh, 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 even some of the larger ones, if they're fortunate, that have not been in a bunch of scuffles with other sharks, they're just a beautiful creature. You know, they're 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 one of the nature's most perfectly evolved, uh, you know, animals. They've been here, you know, 400 some odd million years, and uh, they're still here. And uh, hopefully, we will learn our lesson and not continue to decimate their numbers through stupidity and and uh, greed, uh, you know, and avarice, and, uh, and, and, you know, sort of get right with the, get right with the sea. You screw the sea up, that's it for all the rest of us, you know. Mm-hmm. But what happens to the sea is going to happen to us, so it's just not a, not a good idea. People have been reckless for quite some time, as you know, you know, over-exploiting, you know, resources, uh, which I have a lot of trouble with, and I and, right. uh, hate to see it, but, you know, I've spent my life in the water, and uh, I, I respect it, and... Uh, uh, for what it is, uh, and also for what it's not, uh, and uh, and uh, I'm grateful to have had the opportunity. So when you found that hammerhead, uh, you said you were three or four years old. Yeah. That's when you decided, like, how do you go about wanting to go to school for it? Are there classes around there? Was there in Hawaii? Was it a popular thing to go into marine science, be a marine biologist? So how, how did, or did you want to be anything else? Because in the 50s or 60s, was that a popular profession? Or was it more like a, like a, a formulated, like you have to be this, you have to be that? 
Yeah, well, you know, back in those days, it was science was science, and of course, it wasn't wasn't on my radar at that time. As a as a young person, young you know teenager, adolescent, I had wanted to because because I used to spend time in Africa as well. I had uh, wanted to be a veterinarian and work in the game parks in Africa because nobody wanted that job. There were big animals. It was dangerous. Uh, it was low pay. But to me, that was everything, being out in nature and working with, working with wildlife. So I had, through a lot of my younger years, planned to do that. But uh, I kept finding myself back in the ocean and uh, working on ships and expeditions uh, around the world and remote parts of the world. And uh, the guy that pioneered the ecotourism and adventure travel business uh, was uh, an, a, 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 an acquaintance of, a, of, a, of, a, of one of my godfathers. He introduced me, and this guy put me on his ship as the only American uh, to run the boats and the Zodiacs and do uh, natural history lectures and be the dive master and all that sort of thing. And, and uh, from there, man, it was just no turning back because I was always in the ocean. I was spending all my time out in the remote areas that nobody had access to back then. Mm. You know, all the way up the Amazon, uh, you know, the Galapagos, uh, the Sepik River, I mean, you name it, Arctic, Antarctica, all the tropical areas. Uh, it's, it's hard to walk away from that, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, so I've managed to, I've managed to, you know, to, 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 to keep one foot in it uh, while, I, while I do uh, enjoy doing other things, uh, being out in the mountains and all that. Uh, you know, marine science still holds a very big piece of my, my attention. I have to say, after speaking to you and you speaking just for five minutes, I realize how less of a man I am compared to you. I want to go to Antarctica. I want to do a lot of things. Man. I can't even. My wife grouts the sink. I don't even do stuff like that. Jesus Those are just different interests. That's not, <laughs> <laughs> that's not how big a man you are, trust me. <laughs> if oh a breeze came through, I would probably flitter away like a feather. You know? <laughs> oh, that's amazing man what a story that's awesome uh dan i know like you've been chomping at the bay here wanting to get into some questions so go for it man oh absolutely so i just thought it was super interesting how the whole backstory to this was how you wanted to really study the both positive and negative interactions of humans and sharks so what like tests were you able to really like test or like hypothesis were you able to test out both negative and positive with the sharks once you were able to actually go in with the suit? Well, back in the beginning, my specialty in marine, marine biology was the human-shark interaction. Mm -hmm. How, why, and under what circumstances all these kinds of interactions and behaviors occur. And what possibly could we do to eliminate those negative you know, uh, uh, encounters when people get bit? Notice I separate the term attack. I don't use that very yeah. frequently because it rarely happens, but people do get bit from time to time. And there are, there are a lot of reasons and ways to try to deal with that, you know. Uh, but uh, back in the beginning, nobody had the foggiest idea, you know, what the reality of this was, what those interactions were, what the, the you know, the bite pressures and all these, the, the reality, you know, the reality of what actually occurs in the circumstances. So I, I was trying to figure out a way, since I had, spent my life swimming around with them, surfing near them and all that sort of thing. You always have in the back of your head, this little, 
you know, a little concerned of like, Ooh, what was that? You know, yeah. just kicked up my foot. You know? yeah. if the water's not clear. You know, it spooks me out like it does everybody else. <laughs> so, you know, you, you, you tend to worry about it, but uh, I, you know, I really felt there was, there must be something we could do because, uh, you know, being as old as I am, you guys probably don't remember the, the, uh, the film called, uh, uh, what was it called? Uh, Born Free. Remember that? I don't. No, I remember Orca growing up. Yep. Yep. Orca. Well, there's a, there was a film called Born Free and this, okay. I remember when it came out, it was probably in the sixties, maybe the seventies. And it was about a guy in Africa, Abinson, who was rehabilitating lions into the wild. And he was just roaming around with all these lions out in his in his in his space there, you know, the, his his farm out in Africa. And I thought, you know, this is such a beautiful story uh, that got even more interesting because I I uh, I met the guys that had one of the follow-on lions, one of the ones that became very very famous of that whole episode. And uh, I, I met these guys, man, in Australia years ago. And I had no idea, I didn't put two and two together, that they were the guys that had and were involved with that whole born free Elsa the lion story. And there was another lion they had by the name of Christian. So look up one of these days, get on your, get on that. Oh, I got to check that out. Wait, Jeremiah, is, was there a Google? I think I know that on YouTube. They went back and found it, right? I've yes. seen that. Yeah. It's, it's, the film is called Christian the Lion, I mm -hmm. believe. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it shows these kind of hippie dudes back in the 60s. Yeah. These big lions running around. And man, I got to tell you, when I met those cats in, in Australia, they're real interesting dudes. One of them had such a distinctive voice that you'd just never forget it. This guy named Ace, one of the guys that you'll see in that film uh, that we saw. And uh, just to, you know, to, to, to make a, a longer story short, I never forgot that. I was living in Australia in about 1980. Uh, with uh, some Australian friends of mine, Ron and Valerie Taylor, famous uh, Australian underwater cinematographers, also major shark conservationists, early ones. You know. They used to be spear fishermen, and then they learned uh, and wisened up and, and, and found a, a better way to, to interact with the ocean. And, and uh, uh, you know, I met, I met these guys in the film industry, you know, back then. I never got the voice. I was back in Australia a few years later working on a Wild Kingdom project. One of my girlfriends was with me, and we're walking around this part of town called Paddington in Sydney. We're walking around, and I was having a suit made at this, at this uh, clothing guy next door. We walk into this juice bar to get something to drink, and I hear this freaking voice. I turned around like, Ace? The dude was his friends own that place. Oh, wait, oh, well, this, guy, this guy was already quite a famous cat, right? No, no, wait. You know, and then another 15 or 20 years go by, and I'm here in San Diego. I've got a television on someplace in the house in the background. I'm doing chores or working on something, and I hear that voice again. I get up, I go look at the idiot box, and there's eight. <laughs> yeah, and there was a documentary about Christian the Light, and I'm like, what is going on here? Man? <laughs> like, shit's surreal, man. It just, uh, you know, how, how does this happen? But it does, you know. But anyway, uh, it's worthy looking that whole story up because it gives you a sense of, uh, of the way some people approach wildlife, nature, even apex predators. And I respect that. Uh, there are people in different parts of the world now that are, that are, that are working with all kinds of animals in that way. Um, but um, it's not something really to be taken lightly. You may recall some years ago, there was a, 
a guy, there was even a film about him, <laughs> some guy took it. <laughs> uh, the bear man one? You know, what's that? It was the, the bear guy? Bear, bear guy, the guy that yeah. got his oh, girlfriend yeah. and he were both yeah. consumed by bears. Yeah. Because oh, he was convinced that he could get along with everybody and, <laughs> you know, these were his friends. And, you know, it's just an absolute hot mess. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're not, uh, if you, hey, Holly. Hang on, guys. I got to get my dogs. That's fine, man. The um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a crazy, you know, it was a crazy. Uh, that's just like crazy, like how like after fifty years you've been able to keep that like profound like respect for like the like when you're in there and stuff like and it's that's what I just find really cool is just the passion that you still have for all this after all this time. <laughs> with with Christian the lion. Christian the uh, lion. Anyway, yeah, so for 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 people who don't know. They released, they raised the lion, released it in the wild. They went back, what, two years later? The lion runs up and jumps and remembers them. And they're like friends. And I think they added Whitney Houston, I will always love you to the video. And it makes yeah. it, yeah. it works. <laughs> is, that, is that like really possible or is that a rarity that that would happen? No, man. I, you know, that, that's the whole thing. That's, the, that's one of the more interesting things about the entire evolution of this kind of thinking, where people can interact with animals in ways that, uh, have formerly been considered ridiculous and, and impossible because you would die for, you know, this way or that way. And uh, that was sort of the same approach that I had as I started working with sharks because, you know, I've had plenty of friendly experiences with them. Uh, we just hadn't done it yet with big white sharks and things of that nature. So while all these, you know, the, t the common, you know, comments are, are you know, you're, you're in trouble if, you, if you're in the water with big white sharks, nonsense. I was riding them around like dolphins back in the mid-80s. That's insane. Uh, at 60, at 60 Why wasn't there a YouTube right. back then? Or so? I would, yeah. My God. God. If I saw you just holding a fin of a shark <laughs> on around Hawaii, my God. That's well, that's, this, was in, this was in South Australia, and that's kind of what the reaction was. Most people thought it was <laughs> But, you know, back then, we're, we, weren't a bunch, we weren't selfie types, you know. We didn't just, mm. you know, post all this silly stuff. And... And uh, our whole thing was just was about science. And my whole interest was in, you know, assessing, you know, the behavioral issues that would allow me to do that again and again mm -hmm. and again. And then if something went wrong, what could I do to minimize any, you know, delay or problem or issue? And, uh, you know, slowly the shark's suits started evolving. And I, I, as I was doing those early studies, I was trying to find a way that it could be one diver, one guy in the water, whether he's a swimmer, a diver, whatever, with the sharks, doing what they do naturally. If you put a cage in the water or you've got safety divers or camera crews and all that stuff going on, that's a whole lot of noise and nonsense, and it distracts from the natural behaviors that I was trying to study. Mm. So I needed to find a way to keep my ass in one piece while I was doing these kinds of studies. And it occurred to me, after, after uh, doing some... Um, some um, you know academic studying of the sensory systems of sharks that there could be an issue with sharks not liking the galvanic currents created by metals and seawater kind of like you know, having a piece of foil on a filling or something like that i said told you brian <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly how dan before you got that's yeah. you know i wasn't i wasn't entirely sure it would work but but here was the concept there was a theory that i read about uh, that had uh, had uh, been describing tests on a very small species of shark, Mustelus canis, or dogfish, smooth dogfish. It's one of the ones, unfortunately, that gets 
uh, heavily uh, 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 extracted from the sea for fish and ships and, you know, all that. It's, it's really one of the target species, sadly, that they're decimating in massive numbers. Uh, but um, the, little, the little dogfish they discovered was affected or frightened by a large galvanic current, meaning a heavier electrical field around, around it when it was in the water after they put little blindfolds on it. So it couldn't see what was there, but through its sensory systems, it knew it was. Hmm. So like something that lives down under into the sand, you know, this is how they determine when there's something around or not. They have these various sensory systems that are so well tuned that it provides them uh, a, 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 an advantage in that niche that they have selected and, and evolved into, you know, surviving and functioning in. So uh, they put a, they put these little sharks in this, in this tank and covered their eyes so they couldn't see. And they put in a glass rod, nothing happened. They put in a piece of wood, nothing happened. Put in a piece of rusting wire and that little shark tried to skitter away and go to the other side of the tank. Well, what, what's going on there? I thought, hmm, at minimum, you know, there may be the possibility that sharks just don't like metals in seawater. Well, consider that, you know, a minute. We'll, we'll, we'll flesh that out a little bit more. But if it wasn't a functional theory, I would still have a physical barrier between those sharp teeth in my skin mm. and body. And I quickly realized that that was the biggest threat of all. You know, people don't die from broken bones or getting beat up on a water or something. They get, they, they die from, from uh, blood loss and shock. Uh -huh. They just bleed out. So my approach evolved into addressing the most critical aspects first, which would have been safety from the teeth, mm -hmm. right? So I, I started looking around. I was calling museums and all kinds of things saying, hey, can I borrow a, one of those, those iron suits of armor that you have? I, I'd like to conduct some tests to see if sharks will hurt me if they bite me while I'm wearing that. And, of course, they all thought I was getting <laughs> on my mind. I was a long-haired surf rat back then, so they, but they thought I was completely insane. <laughs> so the Navy, I went around to various places to discuss this with them. They all thought it was crazy. Well, I ended up... Uh, you know, with a couple of Australian friends who helped support some of my, my research in the very beginning, uh, ended up uh, starting down that path of making products out of this, this, this for dark ages technology, you know, of chain mail. Yeah. It's just in a much finer, a more refined state. And this is some of the stuff that we use now. And you can see it's just like liquid, you know, it's yeah, uh, wow. it moves around. So this, yeah. is, this is stainless. I, I make suits out of titanium. I make them out of stainless steel. We also um, uh, do other things with them now. I basically make them disappear by making them sort of a space flat black. So that in the water, as you can see in the darker background back there, you, you're kind of neutral. Yeah. If yeah. I'm throwing a bunch of fish around to attract sharks, it looks a lot like this, mm -hmm. right? So as a means of distinguishing when I'm having to feed and work with sharks up close and personal, if my hand is in here, they tend to take the fish out of my hand, which would be reflective like this, and it leaves my hand where it belongs instead of I saw that in the the woman interviewing you said, Remind me never to wear a silver bathing suit with sharks. So it's yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and and again, it's even more complicated because it varies from one side of an island to another, one part of the world to the other, one species to the next. 
you never quite know. You want to have local knowledge of, uh, of what actually happens in the area that you're going to be operating or working or diving or surfing or whatever, mm -hmm. as opposed to assuming that one size fits all because uh, it just doesn't. So you have different variations of the suit for different sharks? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I can accommodate any threat level now up to the big guys, you know, uh, white sharks don't bite through my, my gear. The chain mail, they will. Uh, I've also done things with uh, non-metallic solutions. Uh, another company that I have, uh, we develop and have been for about 20 plus years, almost 30 years, developing advanced protect technologies for the government, the Department of Defense, people like that, you know, the, the SEALs and the special operations guys. Um, I have a lot of friends in that arena, you know, that were old buddies and primarily, you know, superb athletes. You've got to be a superb athlete first off to sort of find yourself useful in that, in that, uh, in that game, you know, the right. military special operations seals and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Is that, would and, you uh, say that's your, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I would say like, is that your biggest customer base? Like who, who's your biggest customer base? I guess I would ask. Well, it depends on which company. So I have, I have, I have things broken up into three different groups, right? Okay. Uh, the shark suits and the shark armor and all that stuff. Uh, that's just me. I don't let anybody get involved. I made a mistake uh, a few years back by allowing the the full umbrella of my uh, uh, the full umbrella of my activity, my business activities, to be under my old logo and name, which I built over a thirty five year period. Well, I started getting a lot of traction from people that were not in the marine science side, but they were more interested in this advanced tech I was doing for the government. But I made the mistake of running that under my my mm. personal brand basically mm. and uh ended up uh at the things you know we'd done a bunch of government contracts and trajectory was just vertical uh we were literally set the new threshold for protective textiles and materials globally wow. and uh, i won't drop any names here but anybody you can think of that was along those lines or one of the companies that you'd think about were people that wanted what i have wow. and uh of course when you've got something that people want you better know what the hell you're up against. And I'm a art and science guy. I'm not a corporate snake guy. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I started putting together a, a crew of guys and in, in inviting people in that could handle the business corporate stuff for me. And within two years, they had it so screwed up that uh, I had to shoot the whole thing in the head. After 35 years? Start from scratch and rebuild it all. And, oh, damn. Yeah, no kidding. You know, almost more insulting is the some looters came in and, and uh, after I'd shut the old company down, they, they went out over and purchased my old, my old logo. And, oh, my uh, God, man. And now, and now they sell T-shirts in Florida pretending to be me. <laughs> wow. American greed, man. That sucks. That sucks. I mean, you see it on Shark Week and that kind of stuff still. But, you know, I, I did, I don't know, maybe I've done about 100 film projects through the years and, and – uh, I don't know, maybe 80% of those Shark Week shows usually had my gear in them. Yeah. Many of them I did myself. I know, really yeah. But Shark Week has kind of gotten a little bit wonky. You know, I, I've yeah. shifted over to, to National Geographic now, which right. is it's more, more scientific oriented. Yeah, it's more educated. Brian, you have a question? Oh, no, I was going to go back to what you were talking about when um, you had had the dogfish in the tank and you were putting in different materials. Yeah. Um, were there any metals that certain types of sharks were more attracted to rather than um, repelled by? Because the reason why I ask is I think um, 
is there a correlation between people getting bitten that might be wearing jewelry or something that kind of draws them in? Sure. You know? Ex excellent question. And that's another major piece of that, of that whole uh, story of the, you know, from, uh, from those early days. We had the theory that sharks simply wouldn't want to be around the metal, right? Because the currents, the galvanic currents, and we had the physical barrier to protect me in the event that that was bullshit and it didn't hold up. Later on, I realized that uh, while there was some, some real value in those early studies of understanding the sensitivity issues about sharks' electroreception systems, uh, when you think about that for a second, that little tiny shark ran away because he was feeling a higher electric field nearby. Hmm. Think about that. That's a tiny shark. What happens when it's a big one? Do they think that any galvanic current, since they're the biggest guy out there, is food? Yep. So am I wearing bait? I mean, am I wearing an attraction, you know, for these bigger sharks? Mm. I thought, oh, this would really be a bad plan. <laughs> <laughs> I should have thought this out more. <laughs> it protects you. <laughs> but it, uh, it, you know, it, it, it did hold up. I mean, it was, I mean, it was, it, it worked out fine. I have never noticed sharks being attracted to the steel, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's stainless. Certainly, not, uh, titanium has even less of an electronic signature, you know, in water. So that's a step in the right direction. But uh, the stainless steel, which I normally use, it's typically three sixteen. I've used different alloys through the years, but three sixteen is one that I prefer now. Surgical steel. Uh, they uh, they don't seem to have any particular attraction for, but it does enhance one of the behaviors that's associated with those with that electroreception system with the Aculi of Lorenzini. So, you know, the uh, you'll see people on television on Discovery Channel or Nat Geo putting a shark into what they call tonic immobility. It's when the shark stops swimming and he comes and sort of rests with you there. People usually have one hand under the snout and they'd be kind of tickling underneath the snout because the abula of Lorenzini is all under the mouth of the shark right here, mm -hmm. under, the, under the snout of the shark. So it's typically up toward the front, right, of uh, when they're coming in. And if, they're, if you're, if you're a, 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 a stinger, they're going to come in like this and then bah, get you, you know. So um, uh, you, can, you can enhance some species dramatically into this tonic immobility state, which is just sort of a short circuiting, if you like. It's nothing harmful or doesn't mess them up in any way. They literally will swim right up to you into your lap, into your hands, and will stop and just settle right there. And if they're on the bottom, you can literally put your hand under the snout, put your hand under the, the middle of the body, the back, and you can lift them up off the bottom like this. They'll be just sitting there quietly doing nothing. Just still, it's fantastic. Very, very interesting to see. You'll, you'll see photographs like that through my Instagram pages and things like this and through a lot of these. Uh, I think uh, they tried to get Tyson to do something like this the other day <laughs> on, uh, yes. on Shark Week, but uh, I'm not a fan of that kind of thing. Of course, I love the champ, you know, being a good uh, fighter, but um, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of uh, the dog and pony show stuff. And, right. and the suit, those shark suits that you saw there, I did not build. I think it was quite obvious because they did not look like shark suits. They had none of the safety mechanisms that I build into actual authentic shark suits. They were, they were just a knockoff, you know, 
imitation look, I think, for the for the TV program. I'm sure if Tyson sees this, he won't be very happy that he wasn't given a real <laughs> shark suit. He knows. You see? <laughs> well, we'll tag him in this one. We're going to tag him in this. Hey, Tyson, you weren't given the real shark suit. Come back to the bottle. Well, I don't, I, I, who talked him into, you know, doing this kind of thing? I don't know who these amateurs are out there, but they're, you know, apparently they're all, all, Everybody's an expert, right? <laughs> While we're still on the topic, though, just uh, two more quick questions with this topic. Now, um, obviously, human beings have their own uh, electromagnetic current that we put out. Yeah. How much of a current do we put out, and does the steel that you use diminish any of that current? You know, uh, I haven't, I haven't calculated that number, but I can comfortably let you know that ours, a human electroreception, is much lower than what's going to be created by that steel and seawater, right? Okay. Uh, all those bits and pieces and all the metal and the crap that we wear when we're diving and doing that sort of thing, all those things emit a frequency like that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, an electrical field. And uh, I can't say that there was anything particularly attractant about that uh, or, you know, particularly dramatic about the, you know, how they interact with us because there, there've been, you know, many, many efforts of people trying to figure out a way to keep sharks from, from biting accidentally or otherwise. And uh, you might've heard of this thing called a shark pod or a, what's that thing called now? A shark pod or a, you give it another name. It's sort of thing attaches to the surfboard. It's got a long electrical cable. It's a signal to keep them away. Yeah, and it puts out a pulse, right? Kind of like a kind of like an electric fence, but it emits it through the water, so that when it comes within a certain range, it feels that pulse. And then some sharks, some sharks, don't want to be around that; they'll turn away. I've seen sharks chew on these things. There have been at least one guy I know of that was killed, depending on it, to keep him from being killed. And um, you know the. Uh, you, you, you really need to think of sharks like any other animal. We're just another animal here, right? Yeah. yeah. We're the upright one. And uh, when you, if, you, if you stop to think about that, if you walk into a, a bar in a, in a new town in a rough area, I don't know about you, but the first thing I do is I assess the, the crowd. And I'm looking, yeah. <laughs> Let's see here. We got a, those guys look okay. Uh, those guys look a little sketchy. That guy, somebody should just kill him right away because he's going <laughs> to and uh, you know, yeah, we're we're in Jersey, so we know exactly. What you know, <laughs> well, you know, you know how you know how that goes, man. and and, and uh, you know, while most people fit into the first category, they're well socialized, they behave themselves, they don't do stupid shit. You know, sometimes people with a little too much alcohol, they get a little out of control. Those are the ones you got to watch, and then the bad ones, the crazy ones, they could just be crazy for any number of reasons mm -hmm. or, or issues. So you just got to steer clear of them. And, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a more direct example, if you hit one man with a taser, speaking of the electrical stuff, you hit one guy with a taser, he falls down, wets himself, and cries like a girl. You hit another guy with a taser, he takes it out of your hand, shoves it up your ass, and then kicks you all the way down the road, right? So you cannot ever assume with living animals, you know, what precisely the response will be to any external stimuli. Some people aren't affected by things like that. You know, you, you, you hear the stories all the time about that kind of thing happening. So with sharks, 
you know, they're, I think, probably, as we've been learning through the years and in a more accelerated pace at this point, there is so much more that, um, and with all living things, as far as I'm concerned, you see it with, with the, the whales and all the other animals that we're dealing with, that there's so much more to the equation that we don't have the foggiest idea about yet. But I have faith in young people that they will continue to uh, seek out, you know, better, healthier ways for us all to get along a little bit better in the ocean and on land. Mm. Yeah. With this, with this project, the suit project you were on, it sounds expensive. Now, was there a time where you were in debt trying to get the funding and finally it kicked in and you made your money back, you started making the money? Was there ever a doubt this would work? Did you have people on your bucket list like who said it wouldn't work, who were very um, critical of you and like you're like, ha, I showed you type thing? <laughs> I'm sure you there, do. There, there are always people like that. Yeah. There are always people like that. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm always amused by them because it, I don't, I could give a rat's ass what somebody's view is like that, you know, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with, with, with what I get done and how right. I get done. And uh, you know, it's, it's shit that I do. Nobody can even touch. So it works, works out pretty well, but uh, yeah, I've never gotten out of debt on this thing. It's always been a labor of love and I've put, Everything I self-funded, I basically I bootstrapped it for the first 35 years, mm. and the products were globally renowned. They were globally, you know, uh, in use. And uh, then in about 2011 or 12 is when I had to shoot the old company in the face, burn it down, and rebuild set three separate companies, which is what I've done, so that nobody can play rope a dope or any of those stupid corporate games on me anymore. And uh, it allows me to to. You know, to keep those different sectors completely uh, um, autonomous, you know, from each other. Right. But was the suit patented? There are, people that, that, there are always people that say, you know, no, 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 you can't do it. Or they're jealous or one thing. Yeah. You know, forget those people. Or was the suit uh, material, could it have been patented? Was it patented? Like, can yeah, there be I mean, a replica? How did that work? Well, I had my first patent expired probably 20 years ago. Because patents were only useful, I think, about 17 years back then. Okay. And you, you can't just patent the old chain mail. You have to make something, have a product of, you know, of some sort. There's a lot more to it. And patents in the old days were easier. I've had mm, about a half a dozen of them you know, through the years that we've, that we've put together. Uh, but there, it's a mixed blessing because if you put all that stuff into a patent, you're basically giving the recipe to whomever out there wants to try and knock you off, right? Mm. So trade secrets are a wonderful way to do this. And I've learned so many things about how to navigate all this perilous bullshit, you know, with these kind of snakes. But it, uh, it, uh, uh, you know, it, uh, that you definitely have to be careful, you know, with that. If you let investors in, I didn't do any of that ever until we were getting all these, all the, you know, the, the, the three-letter agencies were coming, wanting me to work with them. And, I mean, I was getting crazy stuff coming to me from a corporate side for the advanced tech, the government stuff, not the shark suits or that, you know, that's all a small, tiny little niche over here, but all this other stuff literally is, I mean, it's everything. It's anywhere a body or equipment can be damaged or injured. I develop uh, textiles, composites, and laminates that can keep you in one piece, uh, extending survivability, shrinking the zone of lethality from explosions and all that kind of stuff uh, and make clothes that are really durable. I mean, armor, you armor up the body. You're basically like Iron Man without yeah. all the money. <laughs> but, uh, 
you know, you're Iron Man and you're, you're, you're still, still flexible and, and all that sort of thing. And that's what I spend a lot of time protecting now because, of course, all the dirt bags out there would like to try to grab it, you know. Yeah, no, I got you. I just keep inventing new stuff. You know, I, I, I'll invent whatever I invented a couple of years ago. Now I can invent things that are, you know, 50, 100 times better. Right. Um, economical and all that. Because in the, in the early days, whenever I built a new protective product, I was always the guy that did the testing, right? So I didn't want to get myself jacked up or lose parts of my body or otherwise. So I always built them to be able to perform as expected under the circumstances that I was anticipating, which was ultimate, you know, severe. Uh, but it still hurts, right? Like you're still getting like hundreds of pounds of pressure just squeezed on your arm. Well, that, that varies too. But, uh, and, and bring that back up here in about, about 30 seconds here. The, um, in, in, since I was doing and building all these things for myself, or my good buddies who are, you know, SEAL team guys or one thing or another, I didn't want them to get hurt either. So I would build things first to solve the problem. Then if it was too expensive for commercialization or one thing or another, I would take it and uh, uh, re-engineer it or optimize it. In the event that it didn't need to be so, so durable in one way or another, I could, you know, move those things around so that the, the viability of these products as commercial items eventually could could become reality and that's kind of what's happening now mm. now on your question about uh what was it again remind me so it was like it still has to hurt with the, just the amount of pressure right. that's being put on your arm and just the pull yes yes yes, force. yes yeah well people assumed a lot about that about that particular question for years forever until i started actually getting bit by sharks and not getting hurt now you want to stay fit, you know, keep your, keep your body, you know, as strong as possible because it's not a game. You get up into a few hundred pounds of shark, there's no difference there than, than a two or 300 pound football guy taking a shot at you and taking your head off. They have power that you cannot even imagine uh, because most people never experience that on the dark end. Sharks are 95% effective muscle. So just one big freaking muscle with teeth on it. And, uh, if they try, if they apply themselves, you know, you can get smacked with a, with a tail or with a pectoral fin. You can get hurt a lot of ways, knocked out. I've nearly been knocked out several times of, you know, just being hit in the head by sharks all, all over me, smashing into you. Uh, so I started using helmets back in around 2000 and that improved things a lot because you couldn't get your mask bitten off very easily that way, or your regulator bitten out of your mouth or, or hit in the back of the head or bit in the back of the head. If you got, 20 or 30 sharks around your ear, somebody sneaking up trying to get a hold of you from behind, it's nice not to have to worry about those. Hmm. But the, uh, the pressures have never, ever been what people used to propose, saying, remember when they used to say, white sharks have 18 tons per square inch of bite pressure? Mm -hmm. Bullshit. That's an extrapolation <laughs> by some student someplace. Uh, you know, they're trying to figure out how he's going to get out of school with a decent grade. And uh, you know, the reality, the reality, you know, I'm only concerned about what happens to my body under these circumstances, whatever it is, if it's ballistics or if it's blades or if it's, you know, animals or whatnot. And, uh, you know, that, that's all that really matters to me. I, I'm not, I don't care about the theories. I don't care about anything. I want reality based information. Right. And uh, when sharks have chewed on me, arms, legs, whatever they get hold of, 
I've never had felt like something was going to break. There's never been that much pressure, even with big white sharks. Some of the tests that I've conducted with them, and I've worked with them all over the world in Mexico and Africa and Australia and here in California. You know, even those guys that reputedly with such tremendous power, I had some test components that I make that would always replicate my body, like my arm, and I would have cores in there that replicated the bone strength. So I would know if that shark was able to break a bone, if he was chewing on something, you know, the way I build these, build these contraptions and these test uh, components that I use. And uh, the most pressure that I got in a direct test from white sharks was about 600 pounds. To, and I calculate that by its ability to penetrate some of the materials that I had. And 600 pounds is not much. Humans can bite three, 400 pounds. Okay. By three or 400 pounds of pressure. The difference is those big, sharp teeth, those teeth. Can you, can you show them really quick? Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about his bite. <laughs> yeah. Here, hang on, let me straighten this thing up for you. Oh, uh, yeah, cool, man. Thanks. It is. Um, so the, so the, uh, the pressure has never been uh, that whole tonnage kind of, kind of deal. It's far less than people anticipated, but it's more than sufficient if you study and, and, and understand how and why they use them the way they do. They're the perfect tool for the heavy lifting. You know, they do, uh, they do all the heavy work and, the, and the, uh, the jaws and the muscles don't have to. They use the torque of the body, the thrash of that muscle. That's what tears pieces off. Mm. You know, if they're just biting into a whale or something, yeah, you could just remove flesh. But if they hit something else, you'll notice if you, if you study shark, uh, uh, shark bites on humans, you'll notice that they uh, uh, may have a, a mid long bone severance, but it's never bitten right through. Mm. It will usually, a shark will usually grab a hold, remove the flesh down to a, to a connected joint like an elbow or a wrist or something, and then pop it off, right? Or roll or twist or something like that. They usually don't break through. And if it does break through bones, it's generally not a, and it slices right through. It doesn't happen. It may score it like you do a piece of glass. If you score it a certain way, it makes it a little more fragile. So then, if you add the torque to that, you might be able to break a bone that way. But it generally doesn't doesn't happen as people would suspect. Cool. So these are this is the top and bottom of uh, white shark jaw here, about a 19 footer. Uh, these are replicate uh, replicate teeth, but this literally shows you the whole row of the upper and lower. And you can see that the uppers, everything is still serrated and all that sort of thing. And you can see yeah. this. So you get up into the two, two plus, two and a half, three inches, you know, size range uh, for white sharks. And what, what sharks do, including the white sharks, the majority of them, uh, some of the others will generally have a spikier tooth on the bottom. So you see most of these uppers are quite triangular. These are not quite as triangular down below, but most other species are being even, even more pointy. Uh, they will come in and they will stick those bottom teeth in, grab a hole there, grab here, and then go like this to let those upper teeth slice something off as they pull it out, right? As they pull the flesh off. Wow. They've got, they've got some, some very clever and genius capabilities, you know, that they've evolved into. And of course, that's why they're one of the most successfully evolved creatures. Now, how do you, do you donate the suits to like um, researchers? I know we had on recently uh, Paul Clerkin who 
goes out to like Southern Indian Ocean to find new species, mm -hmm. certain expeditions. Um, yeah. And he, he was asking about like, oh, those suits, yeah, like they're hard to come by. How do you judge like who you might, the expeditions you give them to, do you give them discounts? How does that work? Yeah, there have been, well, uh, many people have purchased them. As a matter of mm -hmm. fact, until the knockoffs, and there's only maybe a few, two or three out there, until those started showing up, every suit that I ever built came directly from me, out of my hands, right? Uh, because I would vet every single person and find out what's their intention, what's their experience, what species, what size, and so on, uh, to find out how prepared they are. Because unfortunately, uh, having done this much television and media over the years, uh, as I'd mentioned, maybe 100 programs by now, directly, just the ones that I've been involved in, uh, we make it look easy because that's what I do all the time, right? Mm. It's just not that damn easy. You know, you've got to have all those years of, of understanding and awareness of what's going on. And even then, it can change just like that. In yeah. a nanosecond, things can go sideways. And if you're not, if you don't keep your shit together, you, got, you, can, have, you can be in real trouble. Mm. Number one, because suits are heavy. The steel ones are. They vary in weight between, uh, you know, 18 pounds up to about 24. Uh, if you want something for saltwater crocodiles, they get even heavier in steel. But I've, I've also developed these non-metallic solutions, which are the textiles and so on that I can use, as well as hard armor, uh, which I find very useful for some species as well. But to get, to, your, to get back to your point, when people come to me and ask me for these things, I will find out whether or not they should have one because the last thing I want is to sell something to somebody that's going to go and use it in an abusive or exploitive manner. Uh, you know, try to use a suit to go and, you know, harass or annoy creatures, seals or sea lions or, you know, poach lobsters or abalone or whatever. I don't want anything to do with any of that. Right. Only straight, legit, be they military scientists, camera operators, you know, research divers or that what we have now, we've got since all this started, you know, back back in the back in the 80s, there's now about a billion dollar a year shark diving industry globally. Hmm. We'll just go on to swim with sharks. That didn't exist before. That all came about as a result of the Wild Kingdoms that I was doing in the 80s, early 80s. So it, it's sort of evolved in a lot of ways. It, uh, the way that people used to wonder about any kind of wildlife, you know, we've given them an access, a safer access and exposure. And, the, the, you know, this wild phenomenon of Shark Week and the, the Nat Geo stuff and all the documentaries. I mean, it's really quite spectacular to see such a, a big piece of media, you know, focus on this every year. Yeah. When you, when you step back and think about it, I remember early on because I had no idea that people were this interested in sharks. I thought it was just a weird thing that I was, it was a particular interest of mine and, uh, and very, very, very few other people. And, uh, so again, you know, the, the, uh, uh, uh shit, lost my train of thought there. Where was I headed? Uh, a lot of people like sharks now. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Somewhere I, I came across a, a, some sort of, a, a, you know, a, a suggestion that certain words were much more uh, recognizable in the human psyche than others instantly. And I don't know if I, 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 this was much, you know, years after the actual shark uh, or uh, what you call it, uh, uh, the white shark film. What was it? Jaws came out. Jaws, right? yeah. 
I'm not sure that if it, I don't think it preceded that. I think it followed it. So it could have been influenced by that film. But uh, it was something like the word shark, if you hear it, elicits something like 600 times more attention from humans than almost any other word in the public lexicon. Wow. Think about that. Mm. This is how and why probably my old company, and, and now that I've transferred all of that, all that technology and the legacy and all that into shark armor, I think that's why people just freak out for the stuff. You know, they just, they, people are so wigged out about sharks, understandably, after seeing films like Jaws and, and all, some of the silly stuff that they put on these, these so-called shark documentaries, you know. Yeah. It's a dog and pony show, you know. It's, a, it's a more of a reality entertainment for some people as opposed to, you know, the, the uh, more accurate, informed, and relevant information that p- people like me are interested in. Yeah, we so like, talk. Go on, Dan. Sorry. Go on. So, like, that's, like, the one thing that, like, I remember, like, when we were, like, in elementary school, like, we were learning about how, like, the bald eagles are going because of DEET, and then probably middle school about how turtles are dying because of plastic. What do you think is, like, the good solution for, like, the education system of getting that out about sharks and how they're just being totally decimated? That's what's happened over the past 40 years. I mean, that's literally what's happened. And I think that, uh, you know, arguably there'll be some people who try to poo-poo on it, but I think that, uh, you know, had the shark shoots not been in there, had it not been doing all that work early on, very unlikely that, you know, some of this stuff would, would be happening now, or it would have taken a lot longer, or who knows? Maybe there would have been another somebody that thought the way I did and wanted to do the kind of things that I do. I don't know, but I can tell you that there are, you know, there, there for a while there I was thinking that, Shark experts could be the job that could save the economy of the world because they were coming out of the woodwork like flies. Every time I turned around, there was some new shark expert talking about some cockamamie theory or otherwise out there uh, that uh, that they were excited about. But you know, for me, it's all about the human shark interaction. What you can do, how you can get along with them. Uh, how do we, uh, uh, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we support? our living ecosystem as opposed to damaging, ignoring, uh, destroying, or exploiting it uh, mercilessly as, as a lot of us have, have been doing. And, and you know. is there like a big difference between, cause you don't really hear a lot about like the Atlantic ocean compared to like Pacific, which is just being completely decimated by those Asian countries over there. Is there yeah. a silver lining where we're doing the right thing on the Atlantic side or like that's, I don't know, something you know, that I've never really heard of. So in the, when I was in school at Script here in the, in the late 70s, we had, uh, you know, you could, you'd see a lot of blue sharks. We'd have 20, 30 sharks around some days, right? Uh, I used to go out every Wednesday. We would take our, our boat off the guy I was studying with at Scripps, and we'd go out every week and, and go study and work with the, the blues and makos offshore. Generally, we never had a lot of trouble, you know, finding them, but um, uh, that changed over the past 25 years or so. Uh, way, way back in the beginning, I considered setting up a dive, kind of like a celebrity or not a celebrity, but a, like an executive or people that were very interested in, in sharks, setting up a dive operation where they could come out, put on my suit and go for a swim. Well, I was so freaking busy doing all the other things I was doing back then that I never did it. So uh, another young kid did that here in San Diego or a guy, uh, a, a guy that became an acquaintance of mine. And then he kept that, he tried to keep that going for a few years. We used to hire that boat to go do the Wild Kingdoms and all that kind of stuff that I used to do. Well, eventually, 
we weren't seeing the sharks here anymore. It was getting extremely difficult and they had no way of assuring their clients that we're going to come out and try to go swimming with sharks that they'd be around. Because the, here in the Pacific and the Atlantic, everywhere else for that matter, you have the Gulf out there and you've got all the Pacific vortexes here. All these animals swim around on these great migrations every year. When they swim out toward the other side of the Pacific, you got all of those long liners and the, 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 uh, all these fishermen that are trying to get these things for the shark finning and all this ridiculously obscene, wasteful and unnecessary. It's just pure cockamamie madness, you know, to, to destroy these animals for shark fin, you know, some social cultural bullshit. Uh, it doesn't make any sense at all, but it, not to mention the fact that shark meat, like most other large predatory fish, is highly toxic because our seas are so polluted now. You know that uh, yeah. here in the Pacific, every bluefin tuna caught that was that was uh, studied was radioactive because of Fukushima. Now Fukushima is way down there in the Pacific. No, if you look at the satellite maps of what's happened with the Fukushima distribution of all that radiation, you look at you can see the swirls through the entire North Pacific now and all over to West, off California and that shit just goes everywhere. So there is no separation. It's not out of sight, out of mind. You know, all of these things that we keep dumping into the sea, whether it's plastic or noise or toxic this or pollution of that or whatever it happens to be, all that stuff, all of it is coming back to kick our ass right now in a big way. So it's almost like a, a you know an hourglass. It was okay when it was up to up, you know it's up top here, but now it's getting down to this bottleneck, and things are going to have to pass through this bottleneck, and. Uh, there's a likelihood that we've decimated things beyond sustainability by wiping out 90% of the big fish in the ocean already, literally. 90% of the large fish are gone. So now we're getting down here into this little thing. And they're picking up every living thing they can find, usually to turn into some sort of protein for animals or, or humans somewhere in the world. To make matters worse, right now, there are a bunch of boats out of China that are surrounding the lower uh, eastern side of the Galapagos uh, exclusion zone, Galapagos Islands. Now, I've spent a lot of time in the Galapagos, way back before the Ecuadorian government took it over as a national park, right? And uh, we used to spend a lot of time taking people around, introducing them to the wildlife and, and all the natural stuff there. And the diving was, of course, spectacular. A lot of sharks there. And they're, they're not allowed to be in that Galapagos National Waters, right? Because it's, or, or the Ecuadorian waters there that are or Galapagos controlled by Ecuador. Uh, they still sneak in. They do this all over the world. People are, you get these pirate vessels in there just knocking the shit out of the local, you know, uh, food population, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, you know, population of whatever it is they're, they're harvesting there. Uh, like Europe has, you know, wiped out most of its fish from the Mediterranean and all that kind of thing. Things go away when you overexploit them. They cannot sustain it. Same thing happens with, with sharks and all these other things. So here in the Pacific, we rarely see blue sharks out here anymore. You see more Makos. And now we're seeing quite a few white sharks because things are changing so much that white shark populations are starting to come up, both on the East Coast and the West Coast, right? Yeah. So all anytime you screw around with something, uh, for instance, uh, overfishing a prey species of our blue sharks that we, that we used to see out here, and uh, they, they'll love things. They, they feed on squid and all kinds of things. You take all their prey away, where are they going to go? They've got to go find their prey. If the water's warming up at the same time, they might be going further up in the northern areas where they weren't before. 
where their prey don't live and where they've got to find something to eat, right? So that changes the ecosystems in a very compressed manner, which is highly dubious and often uh, fatal because things cannot change and evolve that quickly in nature. It takes a cycle of time to get there. And the way we're condensing and compressing the damage that we've been doing, particularly with this current administration and its shenanigans, you know, we're, you're, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. It's pissing into the wind. You know, it's a bad idea. I feel like another, another big thing that kind of gets in the way of shark conservation is the way that they're villainized in movies and TV shows, cartoons. I mean, you turn on, even on Shark Week, that's something that's supposed to be educational. I mean, they have the dark, ominous music when a, yeah. when a great yeah. way cruising in, like, oh, look at this big monster. It's here to kill and eat everything. Yeah. The majority of the time, they're just swimming around, checking stuff out. Yeah. They're not attacking anybody. I mean, you see, there was a guy I had met a year ago in San Diego. He was a diver, and he was a cameraman, and he free dives with large great whites and like my immediate reaction to him was you're insane i would never get into the water with one of them and he goes believe it or not they're actually extremely docile and they're not aggressive and as long as you take the precautions and you don't do anything stupid they're not going to mess with you the majority of the time they're not interested at all exactly and the majority of the time is it it's even 99.9 percent of the time it's just that point one percent you need to keep in mind and this is this is where it comes to the rub because that's where i was saying we make it look easy but it doesn't mean that it is if you're not reading the situation like you did when you walked into that dangerous bar or you know you're 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 out you know working in some other very dangerous thing you don't go hang gliding you know without full uh, awareness you know of what you're doing there and most of those guys still die young right so it's a it's a very sketchy thing. A lot of people take advantage of those things now, but nobody had been out doing what I call friendly encounters, you know, before I started doing that back in the early 80s. And it's nothing I was, or the mid 80s. I don't do that for entertainment. I did it for study, you know, to evaluate what, what could we do and how can we interact with these big fish and uh, even these apex predators. And while my encounters were friendly, uh, there have been many, many, many times that I've been chased around and if I hadn't gotten out of there, you know, when I did, that something could have gotten worse and so on. So we don't want to over anthropomorphize things either by suggesting that, you know, we, there are some people in this diet, in the community now that the, the shark diving community, which is, again is quite substantial and it's worldwide with diving operations here and there. There are some people that take it too far. Oh, they're my babies, or I love them, or they love me, or, you know, we communicate with our heartbeats, or, you know, just please, man. Be respectful. These, these, animals, these animals don't need, your, don't need your approval or anything else, you know. And I'm not saying they dislike the sharks, but I'm just saying that people tend to, you know, do what people tend to do. Yeah. If, if they've got, if they're trying to <laughs> perpetuate a lifestyle or a job or some damn thing or another. And, uh, it uh, frequently doesn't have much to do with the reality of what happens in the water. Mm. Right. I want to get to our final segment soon. Um, Dan, do you have any other questions from? I mean, I feel like I could just sit at a bar and have beers with you and hear stories all night. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Eric, <laughs> no, I'm all good. Time goes easy when you talk about this stuff. It's always fun, you know. 
Yeah, uh, I want to ask, what emotions are you feeling right before you jump into the ocean to test the sharks biting your suit? Because I get nervous testing chicken I may have undercooked. <laughs> so, like, you really have some confidence jumping in there and just being like, here's my arm. Like, it's, it's wild. Well, it depends. You know, every new species that I work with, it starts from zero. I don't take any assumptions forward because all the different species, for the most part, the bitey ones, the ones that are capable of biting and being injurious to us, they all have their own niche. You know, think about it for a second. White sharks feed on the big marine mammals when they can catch them or yep. big fish, things like that, or big rays. They need something big. Remember, there was Megalodon before that. And Megalodon used to eat the dinosaur kind of size animals, big things. They're no longer around, so obviously they have no prey. Those kind of giant sharks don't exist uh, you know, any longer either, most likely. Mm. Uh, I yeah. certainly don't. Like that. For Hollywood <laughs> sake, they want to keep that question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the uh, tiger sharks, for instance, have a, a very different shaped tooth. It's, it's kind of angled this direction. And it's got another little step on it so that they've got a, a, a more substantial tooth from which to damage hard things side to side. So they like to feed on turtles and things of that nature. So they'll get those bony structures and crush them, you know, with the, with the power of their jaw. Or they'll wedge, you know, their prey down onto the bottom and use that to help allow their eight or thousand pound or, you know, 1500 pound muscle to just yeah. break pieces off of it. They're not biting straight through. They'll bite a fin off or a flipper to slow the animal down, and then they'll finish that, that whole process, you know. Mm -hmm. and so that's a tiger shark. Then you get to a mako shark. They've got long, spiky teeth like this. You'll see these in all these TV programs as well. Those feed on pelagic fishes, fast-swimming fishes. So they're swimming like a bat out of hell, hitting, hitting prey species like that, and all those teeth are like a macerator. It almost blows blows fish up. I've seen them hit things that they literally poof, turn into like a, a cloud of, you know, of, 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 of wow. and then very, very quickly, you know, they're very kind of agitated and high strung and, you know, it's like they're on meth or something. And they're really kind of a scary animal. And they, they used meth to scare the crap back in the day because if we had a bunch of blue sharks we're working with offshore here, suddenly one or two or three mako sharks would show, show up and, we would ignore the blue shark because most of the guys weren't wearing shark suits back then. Even before I had shark suits, I was doing this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So we'd be watching the blue sharks. That will come up and bite you if you allow them to. If you're not competent, know what you're doing and, you know, keep yourself safe and some distance between you or redirect these sharks when they come in. Uh, so you got the blue sharks that are feeding on all kinds of other stuff. They got a little smaller teeth and they've got, uh, you know, they're feeding on squid and fish and whatever else they can catch. You get to a different, uh, species like, um, well, let's see, let's go to, so we've got the blues, magos, tigers, uh, white sharks. You know, those are the, all the, some of the bottom sharks have crushing plates. You know, they don't even have regular teeth in there because they feed on something else. So literally everybody fits into their own little niche here, one way or another. And uh, you need to know exactly uh, what to expect uh, from each of those species. And that's how I sort of design and engineer uh, protective garments, armor, or otherwise to accommodate any of those threat levels. Mm. Oh, but in, did I answer your question? Oh, yes, you did. I tend to get lost in this stuff. It's real entertaining. They throw into what they do. 
Like yeah. this is this you are made to do what you do. That's all. Yeah. I love <laughs> it. Well, you would too. I tell you what. Any of you guys. Go you, on, Eric. You, you yeah, you looking go, looking go, for go. three apprentices or four apprentices? Yeah, I'm down. <laughs> you guys would be you would be on that list, you know. Hey man, I'm in the shark shark club too now. So that's yeah, <laughs> next time I'm in San Diego, can you take me on a expedition? If 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 you're in here at the right time, that could possibly happen. How much would it set me back? Yeah. You know, I don't I don't get involved in that, but I know guys that do run the boats. I usually would come along on something like that. They may try to charge you or maybe not, you never know. But there you uh, go, Eric. It's either twenty grand or four dollars. I'm down. We'll talk we'll talk we'll talk pricing when we're done recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so out here in the West Coast, we don't see a lot of the blue sharks anymore, which we used to have enormous numbers of. But yeah. on the East Coast, you can still get up there. So up in your neck of the woods, you could go up to Rhode Island. I have friends that run operations up there as well. And that'd be another good person for you to have on your show one day is a guy by the name of Joe Romero. Joe, Joe Romero. He's a super interesting guy. Joe Romero. His company is called 333 Productions. Mm. He's got a research vessel. He's completely into this. He shoots majority of these things for the documentaries and shark weeks and all that kind of stuff. And he's an artist, so he's, he's got he's a full full plate of uh, interesting interesting information. He's a specialist with those Makos out there, and uh, that you have on the East Coast. Runs mm. one of those operations where you can go out with him and swim with him, which would be another great part of your story. And he's doing white sharks up there now. Jeez, thanks for all up there. Yeah, Brian, you got anything? Um, that's all. All right, Jeremiah, uh, we like to do this final segment. It's a, We call it a gun-to-your-head segment. Uh, it's kind of like a would-you-rather this or that. It keeps it light. It makes it a little fun after, like, some serious talk in the episode. We each ask you three questions. We do a little wordplay since we kind of like to think we're more hip-hop-based and whatnot, so we try to, like, make it a little wordy. It's not just your typical Coke or Pepsi type thing. So are you ready? I'll try to keep up. All right, man. Just answer these questions like you think. All right, I'll go first. Um, would you rather find a sand dollar or a dollar in the sand? Sand dollar. Okay. Would you rather own a submarine or share a sub with a marine? Submarine. Oh, all right. I got you. Would you rather own a tomahawk or a hawk named Tom? A hawk named Tom. But I got to tell you, a tomahawk is a good thing, and I've got a buddy out here that, uh, matter of fact, he'd be another good guy for you. On Instagram, look up half face. Like half face, right? Half face, half face blades, B L A D E S. Okay, <laughs> look that guy up, Andy. He's another good friend. All right, I definitely. He's, he, makes up. Tom, he, yeah. make, he makes he makes the tomahawks the seals use. Oh my God! Yes. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, awesome. I'm not playing. This is a serious guy. Half face <laughs> blades. That is the coolest thing of all time. Brian, you're up. Well, the, yeah, you're up, Brian. Yeah. Go on. All right. Um, would you rather fight Aquaman or be a man who only wears the color aqua? <laughs> I don't, why would I want to fight Aquaman? He's, a, he's one of my guys. He's, we're on the same team. I'm all about that. But I, I wouldn't want to have to wear the aqua Speedo, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> Aquaman was standing next to me. Nobody would mess with me, I'm pretty sure. Exactly. Especially if you were wearing a Speedo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Would you rather listen to Come Sail Away by Sticks every day for a week or get thrashed by Sticks every day for a week? Thrashed by Sticks. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, would you rather own the San Jose Sharks or own a shark named Jose? Jose for the shark for sure. 
Matter of fact, I know a few Jose the Sharks. Okay. Uh, Dan, go for right. it. So, would you rather wear chainmail every day, or would you have rather answer every chain email every day? <laughs> You're gonna have to say that one again. Yeah, I, that one was horrible. I'm sensitive to that. Got the first half, but I was still... <laughs> okay. So, would you rather be bit by a pit bull or be put in a pit with a big bull? Well, I've been bit by pit bulls, so that's no big deal to me. I got things that I got things that can deal with that. Dan, you're doing great. Oh God! Last <laughs> one. So, would you rather feel fantastic or be up to your gills with joy? Oh, that's they're both good, man. I'll take either one. <laughs> Eric, you're up, Dan. Why don't you go like hide in a corner? Trust <laughs> this. Oh, right. go, go, right. go, put on your, go put on your Nemo slippers and, <laughs> and listen to the rest of the boys ask their questions. Mine aren't good, but I'm feeling a little better now. Okay. Would you rather be bit by a crocodile or screwed by an investor? Oh, I've been screwed by plenty of investors, but uh, they got bit like a crocodile. Oh, all okay. right. I like result. that. Would you rather never listen to heavy metal or never wear heavy metals? When diving. That's a that's a tough one because I'd still enjoy some some pretty heavy music sometimes and I and I wear a whole lot of the stuff. So and the older I get, the less I like wearing the heavy stuff, but hey, I'll do it if it keeps my ass in one piece. That makes sense. Right. Okay. Would you rather get bit by a shark without a shark suit or change your career to making business suits for sharks? I'd rather well, I've got a lot of little spots that have leaked, never been a bad bite, but I don't mm -hmm. like you know the, the most i don't like business guys i see okay. i see a, a, the most dangerous creature that i have ever encountered on earth and i've worked with most of them of every stripe on every continent are those men that show up at your door smiling in a suit with a briefcase saying i'm here to help yeah nothing more dangerous than a man with a briefcase yeah Jeremiah, okay. you gotta, I forgot to tell you, you have to pick a winner too. So is yeah. there any one question that stuck out that you liked the most? Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Well, let's see. Obviously, Dan's probably out of this one, right? I'm having PTSD just thinking about those business guys I used to have to deal with. Yeah. So let's, drip, let's drop that one. I, I, uh, let's see, yes. which question was the best? Um, I, I don't know. I think they all had a certain charm to them, and they were all quite different. You, so you, guys, you guys, you guys, you guys did well on those. All right, you know then we'll go on the four three-way tie, Dan. You're out. Of <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, Dan. Yours is horrible. Like oh. bad. Like I'm shocked he didn't give you a sympathy vote on that one. This is this was real awesome. This is one of the yeah, episodes we did. Yeah. Uh, plug your stuff, your Instagram, anything you got coming out, any new suits you're designing. Where can we find your stuff at? What website? Well, I've got a couple of them. And uh, uh, on Instagram, you can find us at my uh, Instagram name is Sharkbait. It's mm -hmm. S H R K B A and the number eight. There's no A in shark, right? S H R K B A eight, one word. Right. That's Instagram. And then uh, we have websites. Uh, the Shark Armor website is called Shark Suits, plural with an S, one word, sharksuits.com. Uh, there's a, I have a big umbrella site that does, covers a lot of the work that I've done, you know, in my diverse careers. That's jeremiahsullivan.com. And then I've got uh, the third one that is the advanced tech company that I do, and that's silvergatetech.com. 
www.silvergate.com. So Silvergate, S-I-L-V-E-R-G-A-T-E-T-E-K is how we spell tech. Uh, SilvergateTech.com will show you some of the other things that I do. And between those, you can find email addresses and all that and phone right. numbers. So This is really fun, man. I hope you had a good time. We had a great time, man. This is I awesome. did have a good time, gentlemen, and I appreciate your interest. Thanks.